Hello and welcome to Unsource Wall. My name is Elvis and as always, I'm your host. Okay, so this is going to be kind of a packed week. We have lots of news to get through and also some comic reviews. So let's just get started with some movie news. The big thing we have this week is, is the reveal of the first actual Birds of Prey poster, which honestly makes the ties to Suicide Squad pretty apparent. It has that same rainbow haze background color that a few of the posters for Suicide Squad did. If nothing else for what's come out so far for Birds of Prey in terms of advertising, I've actually been kind of surprised with how professional and cinematic it looks. Unsurprisingly, a lot of vitriol has come out against the poster, which, you know, given the rabid nature of ultra diehard DCU fans, is something that you should have expected. But the one thing I did find weird was how people were attributing these complaints to misogyny, which I think is way off the mark. These are the same old complaints from the regular DCEU superfan accounts and they're the same folks that also hated Aquaman and Shazam and the original Suicide Squad and made edits to get rid of anything they felt didn't fit. It has nothing to do with misogyny or Birds of Prey being women and a whole lot to do with these fans trying to fit round pegs into square holes. Still, hoping we see some actual footage soon. Moving ahead to TV news, we have the big announcement of Smallville officially joining in on the Arrowverse adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was rumored for about a year, with Welling and Rosenbaum meeting with Mel way back when for some reason, but it's finally been confirmed. Plot details are scarce, but apparently it will be set 10 years after the show, and both Tom Welling and Erica Durantz will return to the roles of Clark and Lois, respectively. I am on the fence here. Smallville was definitely the inspiration for a lot of the reasons why the CW shows ended up being the way they are, but even at its worst, it was still way better than any of the Arrowverse shows could ever be, and its heights far outstripped them too. So I'm not really anticipating watching this crossover just for the show's input. It would be really weird to see that kind of quality being downgraded so harshly. One thing that I did find of note is that the series finale of Smallville did have a time skip of its own of about 10 or so years, and the last scene of that show has Clark apologizing to Lois and saying that he might be late to their wedding that afternoon before going off to fight crime. I don't have much faith at all in the CW showrunners and writers, but if they don't have the crisis to be set on that day and have Clark having to race to his wedding after all this chaotic mess that's been going on with the crisis, then that's a huge missed opportunity. But yeah, I've been free and clear of the CW shows for about three years now, and while this was nice to hear, I'm not willing to break that streak to watch it at all. Fingers crossed though. And lastly for TV news, we have the enticing announcement that Boondocks is getting a whole new adaptation on HBO Max, with the first four seasons set to stream there, and a whole new reimagined version of the show already being ordered for two 12-episode seasons. Aaron McGrudder has been said to be involved, but if I don't see his name on some scripts, I'm not watching. Hoping for the best though. Now finally, we can move on to comic news. Let's get through this cleanly and quickly. First off, we have Mark Millar announcing that he has a secret sequel to one of his comics that will drop on the Wednesday before Christmas this year. All I have to say about that is that it better be American Jesus 2 because then why else wait for Christmas? And ultimately, we have a small attraction from a classic episode of Unsource Wall in the realm of Cyberfrog and Comicscape. I had a small segment way back when talking about how ridiculous it was that comic skaters inflated the numbers of issues and books sold when the prices paid for them over multiple times were already pretty overpriced. I think that I called them $80 hardcovers. Well, Cyberfrog is finally being shipped out and I have to apologize and say that I was wrong. They weren't $80 hardcovers. Just regular old $100 floppies. I also got into some Twitter beef with a couple of comic skaters and you know what? I bear them no ill will. A regular 80 page giant goes for about 5 to 10 bucks, so have fun with what you paid multiples of 20 bucks over and over through multiple crowd funds and well, enjoy. It doesn't even have an actual spine to it. It's just a regular floppy that they had to, to rig up some kind of way to make 
work. So kudos. So I hope you enjoy your 30 apiece issues of Cyberfrog. Now we can move on to what I read this week. First off, we have Inferior 5 number 1. After about two years since it was first announced, we finally have the start of Giffen and Lemire's reboot that practically no one saw coming. A 12-issue maxi-series that aims to reimagine and re-envision one of DC's more obscure properties. A property so obscure that it only ever gets brought up in order to mention how obscure it is. And well, it couldn't have gone off to a better start. Now despite the intro just then, this is a complete overhaul of the concept. The original Inferior 5 were all homages and parodies of other superheroes like Captain America or Wonder Woman, but taken to absurd degrees. This is something that Lemire and Giffen have described as being a mix between Stranger Things and The Prisoner, which I feel is kind of doing it a disservice, or is just there because those are references that are well known, especially the former. One of the big hooks of the series is that it's set in the 80s, in the aftermath of the invasion storyline that Giffen plotted, focusing on a group of kids, the new Inferior Five, that get caught up in a conspiracy that has taken shape in a world left shaken by alien attack. Given the focus on the children as actual children, and the overbearing military presence that scenes being controlled their lives, as well as the devastated city that they call home, it honestly gives more vibes of Neon Genesis Evangelion more than anything else. However you want to parse it though, it hits. It hits hard. There's an almost perfectly nauseating sense of unease and anxiety that pervades the book. Off-kilter paranoia and tension because there's something so out of grasp that these kids are in danger of. It's hard not to worry and be concerned off the bat because the danger and conflict immediately come crashing down. It's nerve-wracking. Giffen being Giffen, there are a lot of good cynical gags in here, but overall it feels like he's taking it a lot more seriously and maybe even viciously. Kind of like To Be Apocalypse, but without any of the grounding humanistic touches of Demetrius. It's a great premiere issue for this series, and Lemire seems to be providing the centered and focused voice that JMD would have, and is doing it fantastically. His own outing in the form of Peacemaker backups is perfect for him, and I can't wait to see the fuller scope of that story as well. Inferior 5 was worth the wait, and I'm excited to see where these 12 issues take us. It feels very early verdict and I love that it always possible. Two thumbs up. Next up we have Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number three and it's definitely still writing the right crew. What works most about this issue is that it does make a concerted effort to actually tie the story together a bit. Bridging events so that they do pay off into the storyline that we've been teased since the first issue which is good. The jittery nature of it all was kind of off-putting in the previous installment. However this effort makes the parts where the scenes start to show all the more noticeable. I feel like the series is trying a bit too hard to break things up into short sweet goofy vignettes rather than letting itself breathe or naturally flow from one point to the next. In the first issues, this was a great way of separating the chapters and allowing for good character beats, but this one strains a bit and they feel more cheap and hollow. It's still better than most Jimmy Olsen pastiches, but it's veering a bit too close to being as flat and as uninspired as the rest of them, which would be a shame and I hope it finds the right balance again because it's starting to get just a little bit too wacky and nonsensically wacky as well. Jimmy Olsen is still entertaining, but it's working less and less. So overall, I have hopes for this series. I still enjoyed most of this, but one thumb up, one thumb middle. And finally, we have Second Coming number three. I have to say, this was a make or break issue for me. And despite it all, this third issue made it. It made this series for me. It pretty much follows up what worked in last month's issue, sidelining the Superman dialogue and focusing more on the actually interesting idea of Jesus in the real world. I feel like that's a story that this series has been aching to tell, and finally, it's actually blossoming out. And unlike the second issue, the Superman stuff this time isn't just shallow critiques. Well, it is kind of for a bit, but it also gives him a lot more to do and fleshes out his personality a whole lot more than we've seen previously, although he is still pretty flat. So now we have a more rounded story, the characters having to face heartbreakingly existential questions, Superman about general stuff regarding mortality, and Jesus being confronted by several heavy truths. The latter is definitely the meat here, 
tackling not only forgiveness again, but hypocrisy, faith, love, and this oppressive sense of passivity with regards to the needed and necessary emotional and spiritual investment in religion. I honestly think that Superman thing is just a remnant of an earlier pitch that could have been cut out completely. And honestly, it should have been cut out because where this issue takes Jesus and what he has to handle moving forward, I want no pages to distract from that. It's really heartening and gripping and engaging and I just felt for it so much. I can't wait to see where Russell takes Jesus from this point. I know I've gone a bit wary on his output, but if he can bring this to some illumination, then I'm all for it. And I have faith in him. So overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. And finally, we can move on to what I watched this week. This week, we have Titan Season 2, Episode 3, Ghosts. And I think I finally have to admit that this show just isn't that entertaining. This episode was more engaging than last week's for sure, but that's mainly because last week's had all the potency of an ambient. This one works a little bit more because the cast is all together and even more capable of bouncing off each other. It doesn't have that same chaotic and freewheeling magic of the first season or even this season's premiere, but it does help give it a bit more zest. The dynamics and interplay are just a little less than they need to be to be immersive. It's just too streamlined like I feared and because of that it feels like every scene is just clocking in time until the next one. The standout bits from this episode have to go to the younger cast who get a little bit more attitude to their personalities especially near the end. There's some gags between Deathstroke and Dr. Light that are meant to be funny but are just too cold and stilted and awkward. They're just odd. So again I feel like the season has a better idea of what it wants to be. It's just not doing that all that well. I do want to be excited for this show and it's not really taking the opportunity to to do so. Things might pick up given where this episode leaves things in its final scene, but I'm not that hopeful. Two thumbs middle, and I do hope it finds some bearing that is able to give it a little more life because it feels kind of lifeless here. And there's no listener questions this week, so I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who's ever sent in a question, comment, or topic. It means so much to me. It's awesome, and I'm just so grateful. And if anyone out there has their own questions, comments, or topics that you want to hear discussed on the show, please send them in on my Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. That would be awesome, and I really appreciate all of it. It's amazing. So, again... I am so grateful. I also want to give a shout out to my cover artist at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. Please check them out. They're amazing and they deserve all the traction they can get. And you won't regret it. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week and see you again next time.